time to play with pain, where sports and inaccuracy collide. Now, here's your host, veteran sportscaster, and the voice of the International Speed Fishing Championships, Jet Waterhouse. Man, oh man, oh man. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. My guest today, great comedy writer, Twitter assassin, and right now on one of TV's hottest shows, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Vanessa Ramos. We're going to be talking to Vanessa in just a second. First, let me thank the folks that sponsor this podcast for real. StarbirdsAudio.com, the answer to your quarantine procrastination needs. Look, we got Advice Corner and Fiery Four and Pop Quiz. It's a really good show. And as always, before we get to my guest, Vanessa Ramos, time for the Waterhouse Update, brought to you by the Fjord Focus, the world's first deep-sea automobile. NFL Draft, big winner, number one pick, LSU's Joe Burrow. Like a stripper with rent due tomorrow, he just keeps coming at you. Big loser, Joe Burrow, has to go to Cincinnati. Said Burrow, hopefully you mean to change planes? Miami gets two attack of Iowa. It's kids harder to catch than a scent-free Uber. This just in, going undrafted, killed Kim Jong-un. That's right. He's small for a nose tackle, and he ran the 40 in like 12.36 seconds. Even the Jaguars passed. That's a stressor. Former Bear QB Jake Cutler and Kristen Cavallari getting divorced. Said Cavallari, he just didn't look interested the last three years. Packers drafted a quarterback, Jordan Love, said Packer quarterback Aaron Rodgers. You do know there's warmer places I can play, right? That wrap-up brought to you by Gorigami, the foldable paper knife. UFC, Dana White now says he will host fights on an ice flow he broke off of Greenland with his bare hands. Golf, PGA will resume tournaments in June with no fans. This is an outrage, said a spokesman for the National Council of Polite Applauders. That wrap-up sponsored by Hyperbole.com. Each day, a new compliment for your cat. And finally, this week in sports history, the year 1985. The place, New York, New York. Billy Martin named Yankees manager for the fourth time. Said Martin, I can't help it. They're just so hot. This Waterhouse Update brought to you by River Glance, the Irish dance sensation where only their eyes move. Now, finally, it's talk time. My guest today, great comedy writer and Twitterist, currently pounding away on the hit sitcom Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Vanessa Ramos. Vanessa, how are you today? I'm good. I mean, all things considered, if yeah, being in a quarantine and living beneath someone who's learning to play guitar is not my dream scenario, but... <laughs> You know. Yeah, that's well, hopefully they're past the basic three chords. Oh, I assure you they are not, sir. <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. So no harmonic variation whatsoever. No. Oh, that's horrible. Now you grew up in San Antonio, correct? Are you in San Antonio now? Or no. did you get out? You got out. I that's- got out, yeah. Um, I am currently in West Hollywood, which is apparently the learn to play guitar slash landscaping capital of the world right now. I think that's um, on the sign as you enter uh, West Hollywood. It should be. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, now, but you're from San Antonio. You're from uh, Alamo City, Antonian College Prep High School, the Apaches. Now, <laughs> did you <laughs> <laughs> did you play any sports there? Yeah. Well, first, uh, thank you again for uh, doing your research and looking up the rough name that they have yet to change. Um, I did, but not well. I played basketball for one year, like JV basketball. And my biggest memory is being hit in the face with a ball, like around halftime and just knocked on my ass, like then hearing a buzzer. Uh, I was not particularly athletic. <laughs> did they have to cart you off? Were you, did they give you smelling salts or what? That's it, it a tough one. It was. It wasn't quite the little birds flying around, but it was enough to go like, okay, I know. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to get asked to dances for the rest of this run. So, Wow. That, yeah. that painful memory brought to you by the Hot Dog Ingredients Defense Council. You're cooking them at 500 degrees. What do you care what's in them? Now, uh, San Antonio, a big Spurs fan, though, correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Now, let me ask you this. Have you followed Kawhi Leonard? And do you now root for the Clippers or is your heart still with San Antonio? Uh, my heart's still with San Antonio. I mean, I felt I kind of handled it like a, like a breakup. And then it was also like there's those reality shows like Love Island where you have to like you can switch up couples, but you have to sleep in the same room as your ex. And that's kind of what it feels like being in Los Angeles is <laughs> just kind of like. I was betrayed by this man and now I have to like see his face everywhere. And all of my Clippers, like fans, friends are just like, Oh, Kawhi is so great. And I'm like, this like, it's just, yeah. uh, there's a level of heartbreak. And then I tried to spin it for a while and been like, okay, like w- when he was going to leave, I tried to make the story about if he would still follow the San Antonio wing stop on Twitter, which last I checked, he still was. Um, <laughs> But like I tried to draw the for my own sanity. I was like, okay, let's just paint a different picture. But yeah, no, it's a it's a rough go, and I'm really like, tough. I'm happy for Danny Green. He and I uh-huh. are, I think, on good terms emotionally. Uh, That's good. You know, he's doing his thing at the Lakers. But yeah, at Kawhi, I, I'm still uh, I'm still not over that breakup. Well, that's like uh, any ex. It's like all the new friends. Uh, the person is beloved, and uh, you know the real uh, sordid, seedy underbelly of what that person's actually all about. And now you studied theater at Texas state, the Bobcats. <laughs> yeah. How long were you at Texas state before you just said, I, 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 I'm feeling the comedy bug. I got to go at it. Well, you know what I did my second two years at Texas state. And if I'm being honest, it was, I was studying mass communications. And then I had like a guidance counselor who was like, basically like from an eighties movie, like feet up on the desk was like, yeah, you know, <laughs> if you switch it to theater, you can like be done earlier or whatever. And I was like, cool, let's do that. Um, so yeah. So I've never used that degree for anything. Like I, I, it made me, it made no sense. It just got out of, like got me out of there earlier. Um, but yeah, as soon as I got out, I moved to LA cause I knew I wanted to do something in comedy, but I wasn't sure what. Um, so I, yeah, I came out here and I did stand up for a while. So apparently Tom Lennon was your guidance counselor. Uh, that's the kind of guy I picture. Bad mustache, <laughs> feet up on the desk. But you, so you came, you just, did you just blindly come out here? Did you have any contacts? What, what made you say, I'm just going, I'm just going for it? Um, because I knew I wanted to do something in comedy and I had never been to New York and I'm not, being from Texas, I'm not a cold weather person. So it was kind of between the two. And I was like, great, this has a warmer weather I'll figure, I mean, also a lot of it, people like were in San Antonio, 
you graduate and you either work at USAA, which is like the big insurance company out there, or like Bank of America, and you have like two kids and a husband that you hate most of the time. And then you just like, I'm trying to think of what the other, like the people, like I've gone back home and there's still people. It's like, oh man, you got to go this far. They have $2 Bud Light. It's awesome. Like, is it awesome? (laughs) So it was just a lot of like that kind of thing to where I was like, look, I don't know what I'm heading into. This is like unknown, but I know I can't stay here. The sports bar brought back foosball. You got to come out. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know the feeling. Uh, so you did stand up for a while, and 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 it was going well. But something in you went, eh, I, I I might have an affinity more for the writing than than for the performing. At, le- at least the stand up end of it. What 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 triggered that? What in you went? Ah, I'm going to write for people. Um, oh, not being good on stage, I think, was probably the trigger <laughs> of that. Well, no, it was the type of thing I was still figuring out. Like, I had a lot of anxiety when I was younger. I was like a shy kid. So it was a lot of figuring that stuff out to where I would get up and I would do shows and do mics and stuff. And people would always come up and be like, hey, you're a really great writer, which just kind of meant like you're not great at performing. Um, so I started yeah. getting asked to write for comics when they would do like Chelsea Lately or like panel or late night type things. Uh, and so I kind of, I enjoyed doing that. And then I got the opportunity to submit for Jeff Ross had that show, the burn that was like roast based and like Greg Giraldo was like the reason I got into comedy. And so I just followed his career. And when he did the roast, I like was obsessed with them. One Um, of the greats. Yes. And so, yeah, I didn't get the, like, Oh, I rarely tell this story. I don't think I've told this story publicly, but so I got a meeting on Jeff's show and the night before, I was microwaving a Swanson turkey pot pie, and it flipped over onto my hand. And if you don't, like, you don't think about the innards of pot pie just being, like, boiling, but I had, like, second-degree burns. My hand was all bandaged up. And so the next day, I go in the meeting, and him and his producers put out their hands to shake hands. My hand's all bandaged up. I'm like, oh, my God, what happened? And I have to explain that I apparently don't know how to make a microwave pot pie. Um, well, that, you know, that's probably a, that's probably a plus with Jeff Ross. If, if you don't know the microwave pot pie, if you have a good story about a burnt ham, that's right up Jeff Ross's alley. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I know that feeling. I have uh, twice uh, grabbed the business end of a hair curler. Uh, oh, not, no. Not knowing which end was the handle and which was not. Yeah, it hurt like hell. And uh, that tip brought to you by Ahem. When you want to interrupt someone without wasting valuable words, try Ahem. And carbohydrates, just give in for God's sake. All right, so now you switch to writing. You're in with the the roast show, and then that kind of gets you into all of those roasts. You wrote for a lot of the roasts. And and was that, uh, how important was that to the arc of writing? Because then you moved into sitcoms, which we'll talk about in a second. But but uh, um, that seemed to kind of give you a strong foothold with a, with a lot of good people. Yes. Well, because that was such a it's an interesting world. Like it's a little bit different now. But back when I started in like 2012, it was a room of six people and I was the only new one. I was the only uh, woman. And a lot of the guys had done the 10 roasts before. So it was right. very much of and like it was like the EP of it. Now he's like kind of softened up, but it was very much sink or swim. And you have, um, it's a three week job and it's just kind of like, look, figure it out. Like, you know, you either like, no one's going to like fake laugh at your, you, you know, fake laugh at your jokes when you put them up and read them. It's just kind of like, you have to be able to, it's like if a joke bombs, you just move on. 
Um, now, but it also makes you a stronger writer because it's like, look, no one's babing you. You just got to deliver. Yeah. That, so you're kind of thrown to it. Do you think anything in your life might have helped you prep for a room full of probably largely uh, semi-angry, drunk white guys? Oh, I don't know. The weird thing is, like, I they are all very dear to me now. Like, I've always had a weird way of fitting in with that exact type. And I don't Why do you think that is? Why. Um. I think because I'm kind of a jerk. I think I present a little like I'm, you know, a fairly like short person <laughs> with like a kind of like childlike voice. But I'm also like, uh, you know, this isn't the most woke thing, but I wished a male friend a happy lesbian visibility day yesterday. Like, like <laughs> so you I've got always- an edge, right? You have an yeah. edge and uh, you just disguise it. Well, you camouflage the edge, uh, which 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 does not get camouflaged on Twitter. That's where you fire away all guns blazing and and really funny. And and to me, it seems natural. It's, you know how some guys walk into the batter's box, boom, they just can hit the curveball. You you got on Twitter and, and it just seemed like it was, it was built for your style. Did you feel that way? Uh, not at first, because at first it was very much, I started Twitter when I was doing stand-up because my style as a stand-up was very Greg Giraldo, Patton Oswald, kind of longer bits. And so I would see a lot of these one-liner guys, like the guys that were writing for late night. And I was like, oh, I don't have that skill. And so I started Twitter as an exercise to see if I could write jokes, like short, you know, just one-liners. Wow. And then it kind of like, once I, and it was like a lot of boring sort of like, I would get setups from like an us weekly and then if i wanted to test myself get like the an economist or something super boring and see if i could find a joke in there <laughs> wow and then uh yeah and then it just started becoming like this thing of like okay i'm just gonna like talk about like what i want to talk about or have a take on something stupid that happened in my day or yeah then i kind of just like made it more i figured out what i my voice was and it became like a thing i actually enjoyed most comics will use like USA Today. You went straight for the economist. Uh, that hard ass tip brought to you by Smirks, the lemony sarcastic breath mint, and daylight. It's everywhere till about six thirty or so. Now, so you get you kind of get into that world. You're you're doing roast, then you wind up at, at midnight, which is kind of staff late night roastish kind of writing, quick hitters, and then then you slide into and how'd you get Superstore? Because because that that that's an amazing gig to me. How'd you slide into Superstore? Did you do a sitcom prior to that? Um, no, I did a. I mean, kind of. It was an animated Seth MacFarlane thing, short lived, called Border Town. It was on Fox for one season, and it, it just made a whimper onto the airwaves. But it uh, yeah. So, but that was a good first job to transition from, like at midnight to scripted because the Seth shows are so joke heavy. So it's like, as, as a joke writer, it's just kind of like boom, boom, boom. And then it wasn't a great place to learn story because that's not exactly what that world is about. You know, there's not a ton Uh of character development or stuff like that, but it was enough to know like, okay, like I, you know, wrote my episode and it's like, see what three act structure is and what the act breaks and everything should be. Um, So, yeah, so I got that. And then I went back to at midnight again for a second stint and then while I was there, I got uh, a meeting on Superstore and I went, yeah, I went over there. I had my meeting. And then I think by the end of the day, they like offered it. And I was kind of like, okay, I guess we're just doing this now. <laughs> and did you have any inclination 
that it might become the hit that it is. What uh, do you think? No, yeah. not at all. I think we were there. Like, and I'm so close with a lot of the cast because there is that sort of thing where it's like you're there for a season and it's like, you go, oh yeah, who knows if this is going to be anything. And then our episode order got cut season one. So we just kind of thought like, okay, like it, it wasn't a good sign. And then our premiere date was like mid season and off. And so it was just kind of like, okay, well, we'll have fun doing this while we can. And I actually took a picture. It's on my Instagram of uh, Mark McKinney taking a picture of the final shot of season one because none of us really knew it's like okay this just may be it yeah it's kind of um, like the, the network kind of puts you on the waiver wire you're about out of town and then all of a sudden the numbers come in it, it, great right yeah yeah we were pleasantly surprised also for me border town had been shelved and started airing at the same time so border Town was airing sundays i think superstore was maybe mondays at the time um, and it was just like watching one show, like just die a horrible death while another one like tends to rise from the ashes was very interesting. That's uh, yeah. The, you you kind of got to feel hot at least for a minute. You got like, Hey, I got a show on Sunday and a show on Monday. Let's see how that pans out. Now, uh, two super interesting gigs. And we'll get to Brooklyn nine, nine. Uh, you wrote for Chris Rock for the Academy Awards and Nick Kroll's big mouth. Uh, that, that, uh, Nick Kroll is amazing to me. Uh, yeah. Super funny, dude. How'd you slide into that one? You have such a varied career, and you're like 18. I don't know how this happened. It's amazing. <laughs> but, but boom. And so, Nick, so does someone over there go, uh, I got the girl for you. I got the writer for you. I got the funny for you. Well, you know what? I had actually worked with Nick on uh, the roast of James Franco because I that was like my second roast. And you get assigned to someone to kind of like produce them. So I would go watch him at the improv and be like, okay, this joke's very funny, but there's something without telling him what the other joke was. It's like, there's something in Franco's rebuttal that may butt heads with that. So in the interest of like you not having a joke cut, I would alt that or so, right. yeah, we just kind of got along there. And then, um, yeah. And then at some point, I don't know if this was before or after, but Mulaney had reached out to me just through Twitter about doing uh, helping out on the Spirit Awards. I was at, I would think I was at Superstore. But between those two, when Big Mouth came up, they called me and I wasn't, I was still at Superstore season one. So I wasn't available to do season one, but uh, they were nice enough to let me come in in between shows. So I did in between like Superstore seasons, I did season two and season three over there. That is impressive. So then you get through that. you slide in, you write some jokes for Chris Rock for the Academy Awards. That's always uh, a kick, you know, being backstage at those kinds of things. And uh, a lot of comics tell me this. And, and then you're having fun. And then you're in the moment. You're trying to write jokes with stuff that's happening live. Uh, what kind of experience is that with Chris? With Chris? The weird thing is I think about all of that, but Chris is very he doesn't just like take, take jokes. Like he wants to get, he wants stuff to jump off of. So you send him a bunch of jokes and then he'll like kind of go, okay. And figure out a way to make it his own joke. But my big thing that my takeaway from uh, Chris is uh, we w- went to, cause we worked out of this, like that hotel, like the Lowe's hotel in Hollywood Highland. And so we went to eat and we went to that Johnny Rockets in Hollywood and Highland. And it was just like a table of like a bunch of writers and Chris Rock. And it was kind of the thing. I think his logic was, no one's going to believe Chris Rock is eating at Johnny Rocket. So we kind of like, he didn't get bothered. <laughs> it was just kind of a fun thing to just eat at Johnny Rockets uh, with Chris Rock. And, but yeah, he, I don't know. He like a little bit, like, you know, the way he moves on stage, kind of like a boxer, like that's kind of yeah. what he's in the room. Like he doesn't sit still. 
he just, if you're at a big table, you're at a big table and he'll just keep on circling it kind of slowly while he's thinking. And then he'll stop at someone and goes, what if it was this? And then he'll stop and just keep circling again. And so it's like, it's almost like he's like, he's peddling his brain, you know, he just keeps working it until something pops. That's impressive. Brooklyn nine, nine, this has got to be a sweet gig, but on another level, gotta be a lot of pressure, a bit of a grind. You're changing networks. Do you feel the heat? Uh, like, like, okay, it's NBC. We we gotta, we gotta make this happen now. You know what? I actually came on uh, right at the switch to NBC because I was at uh, Crashing, that Apatow show for HBO, for, right before I was joined Brooklyn. Um, so I, yeah, I weirdly spent most of my career at NBC between Superstore and Brooklyn. Um, but it was the hardest part of that, which like, I love Brooklyn, but I don't know that I would ever go on a show again that late into its run because like, uh, I, you kind of, everything's already been done a little bit. You know, it feels yeah. like I had to watch as a refresher, like 112 episodes before I started just to get caught up. Yikes. And then, yeah. So it's just like, and at least it's like, at least it's like a fun, good watch, but it's just, uh. Yeah, things start to get caught in your head. And a lot of my first weeks were learning how to be okay with being like, oh, well, what if we did this? And they're like, yeah, actually, we did that uh, season one, you right. know. Oh, yeah, the Bible. Those shows always have a Bible that's giant, that's bigger than the actual Bible with uh, <laughs> crazy facts like that. And Okay, now listen, you've acted, you've done stand-up, you've written, you're doing producing. Where are you going with all this? What's where? What's what's the goal for Vanessa Ramos? And incidentally, uh, you Google Vanessa Ramos, wide range. There's like a, there's 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 a stripper named Vanessa Ramos. Oh, good there, for her. And there's a Sierra Club vice president named Vanessa. There's a wide range, so you really got to nail down the uh, comedy writer Vanessa. Ramos. What, where do you think you want to be? You want to be writing funny movies. Uh, funny TV I think, well, show. First of all, it's it's nice to know that, uh, you know, stripper is no longer an option because someone's already made a name in that field. So Yeah, that's a name change things, for you. Yeah, if things get a uh, trend in that direction, I uh, yeah, that's a good way to eliminate that. Um, I am just, you know what, I've been very happy working in on other people's stuff or getting the different experiences of different shows. And I like, I love being on set. And I think uh, I would like to direct at some point, but I think I'm finally ready to develop my own show, which before I I wasn't like, I think after like three years in or depending what your contract is, you can develop like with a network, but I just kind of haven't had that thing yet where I feel like, okay, this is the show I want to do. And I've just been, you know, cause again, I started as a joke writer. So I think I have to get, I had to get to a point to where it wasn't just like, Oh, I'll just write jokes on other people's stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's almost like being a major league pitcher and you've been through the batting order once now and you kind of know more, you know, what's coming, you know how to handle those guys. That's impressive. Uh, Listen, I got a bonafide big time TV comedy writer with me. Time for advice corner. Actual takeaway from the great Vanessa Ramos. Vanessa, I'm going to ask you five questions uh, about what you do. And uh, because you never know, there could be kids out there thinking, hey, I think I'll get into showbiz. Uh, maybe we can help him or hurt him. Who knows? All yeah. right. Qu- question number one. Quick tip for when to pipe up and when to pipe down in a writer's room. I like those roast rooms. That's probably a great one. Like like when when do your when does your instinct say, eh, I better hold back? Or when does it say, ooh, perfect time to pop in? How do you hone um, that muscle? 
Yes. Well, I think it's like, I mean, it's all about as far as piping down, it's like choose your battles. Like, especially as like an, a younger writer, you know, it's like kind of think about what it, yeah. And always have a solution. If you're going to cause like, if you're going to poke a hole and be like, okay, but you could do this. Don't just be the person that just deflates the balloon. Right. Um, right. But as far as when to pipe up, I guess, uh, I've had to find a balance because I am a comedy dork. So it's like, there are certain things where it's like, say like, hey, uh, just so you know, they already did that on, a, you know, this episode of the, like, it's like, there's, there's a way to do that. But you can find the line of like, as long as it's That's not like funny. a straight, like one for one, you know, you can, yeah, yeah. Like, like, just figuring out what that is. Or it's like, there's, yeah, more so with joke writing, because it's with the roast rooms and be like, hey, that's actually a joke that so and so did. Yeah. Go, okay, yeah. we'll, we'll scrap it. So. I love the idea of if you're going to pop that balloon, uh, have another balloon ready to inflate. Uh, uh, favorite pick me up when you're looking at a long rewrite night. Oh, hmm. what's your go to? What's your go to when you're on hour five in the Brooklyn nine nine room and everybody's going, what are we doing with Andre's character? Yeah. Uh, dumb videos. What are a lot of oh, them really? Yeah, we watched it like, but it's a mix of, I'm trying to think, oh, we got into a, an instrument called the Bonobo for a while where we would, it's like a demonstrational video with these like three dudes where they're playing the Bonobo, which is such a dorky instrument. And we would put the Bonobo song to like the Joker stairs. Like we would just find different things or put it to push it. Uh, that's um, great. Yeah, that's just mixing so that stuff or watching the uh, Oh Happy Day performance from Sister Act 2 became another inspirational <laughs> move. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice for someone struggling with story. You mentioned story, uh, how it, w it wasn't a as high on the priority list uh, for, for, for border town, but now you're in a place where story is going to be more important, at least structurally, so you can hang jokes on it. When you were hitting a wall sometimes with story, wh what did you think? What'd you do? What'd you read? You know, where did you learn how to bust through a story wall? You know, honestly, I learned story in the room like it, it was but I think it's from other people from learning how like there was a there's a writer Sierra Ornelas Teller who was great at story and I would just kind of watch her because at some point you're, you're staring at these like cards that have all the scenes on them and your brain will go okay this is how it works and I would right. also not be afraid to like ask her kind of for advice on story um, but that and the other thing I recommend like to younger writers is like find a pilot that you like and then just dissect it go through and like I did because for one of the pilots I wrote new girl was comfortable so I would pause it and then I would put the note cards out and be like okay so this is the story they're telling by the end of act the act break is this and then the second act break is this and you're hanging on to like is she gonna you know move in with these guys or is this relationship gonna work out as, you know as roommates right right so map it out and follow it best way to get noticed if you're a young up and coming writer, Twitter, stand up, or both, what would you recommend right now? If someone's trying to trying to get a get a toehold in what is a, an amazing business, but a crazy business right now. Um, you know what I would say. I mean, neither of them are what they used to be, but I would honestly say Twitter, just because in my experience, a lot of the showrunners I've worked for have are more in touch. Like they don't watch a ton of stand up, which like bums me out, but. Um, yeah, like there's people that they're aware of from Twitter. Right. And finally, how do you break out of a writer's slump? Just a personal 
you're not feeling like you're 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 hitting on all cylinders, like you're getting any real traction. Is there anything you do to go? All right, I'm just going to do this, and then I'm going to come at it fresh. Um, my first roast. There's a writer, Frank Sebastiano, who's a legend in like the roast world and like SNL and everything. But he told me it's he said pay attention to when your window is open which means like if you're just staring at your computer you're not going to be creative you're not you're going to put a sense of pressure on it and it's not going to be funny because you're just not going to feel funny it's not going to flow and so he would say he was like your window's not open he was like close your computer get up go for a walk like get outside do something just take your mind like physically get away from where you are so it's like there's yeah, I used to go uh, walk around the Universal a lot. Like I would walk to Jaws and then come back and go, okay, I'm, you know, ready to write now. Or even if it's just like, I, yeah, I was just on script for the show I'm working on now. And I had like a week to write my script. And there was just two days where I was just like, you know what, I just can't. And it, it was like quarantine, obviously, too. But it's like, I, I can't do it today. So then I didn't pressure myself. I went, you know, did my whatever things, meditated, whatever that, and then came back on the third day and was able to knock out like a full, you know, rough draft of it. That's impressive. Great advice from the wily vet, Frank Sebastiano. That advice corner brought to you by Glassonine, the eyeglasses that help you see stupidity coming. Now it's time for the fiery four, Vanessa. The fiery four. We got uh, sound effects and everything. These are sports takes uh, that are just like hot yoga. They're crammed into too small a space and they're of no proven value uh, to you or anyone else. Fire number one. Why doesn't San Antonio have another major sports franchise besides the Spurs? What gives? It's a great city. It is. I don't know why. Because I think, I don't know. I think there's enough football in Texas. And then I think, well, I think the other, the minor league teams are kind of too sad to like for anyone to want to do anything <laughs> because there's, first of all, there's the hockey team, which is the San Antonio Iguanas, which like respect for thinking they can have hockey in any way, shape or form. And then the other one is uh, the San Antonio missions, as in like historical missions. And their mascot is, uh, which I'm obsessed with Henry, the puffy taco and Valapeno, the baseball jalapeno. Wow. Yeah. So it's a little like, you know, if you can't, you kind of can't workshop that stuff at a lower level. Maybe uh, we're not ready for the big leagues yet. Yeah. When you've got something called balapeno. Yeah. I think it better put on a pot of coffee. Yeah. And balapeno is just a real disaster to look at. They revamped him and now he's like too (laughs) scary. Like he's too scary. Kind of like when New Orleans did Pierre and they had to like scale back because he was just a monster. Fire number two, Balapena. I'm going to remember that forever. Soccer, world's most beautiful sport, or a boar fest they've been trying to jam down our throats for over 50 years now. Um, I would say depends on who's playing it. Oh, really? Yeah, especially to the to the beautiful of it all. I'm, you know, there's some like Portuguese men with flowing hair that I I could watch play it, but otherwise, (laughs) I can, you know. Yeah, I'm going to be very bored if it's just like accountants, which I'm sure there's some I'm sure there's lovely accountants, but now nah, I, I think they're uh, they're they're headed for the San Antonio Mission starting lineup. Fire number 3. Uh why is Texas high school football so crazy big? What goes on there that makes kids play 
football nonstop? Is it just because it's established and there's so many coaches or is there something in the water, something in the culture down there that just makes people want to hit each other? I think it's they want to hit each other. I never, you know, I've been big <laughs> into basketball, but I never got into football. But I think it's like sort of that like uh you know, that like yeah, masculinity thing of like, all right, well, we can't like legally do a fight club. So we'll just, <laughs> so, you know, try to knock each other out with pads on. That, I like it. And finally, fire number four. Why don't other sports have outspoken and really funny head coaches like Greg Popovich of the San Antonio Spurs? It's mostly the NBA, Kerr, Popovich. Those guys are kind of funny, even Brad Stevens. But you go to the other, like, I don't know if they're just too corporate or what it is, but I don't see people popping through. Why do you think the NBA draws those guys and other sports don't? I don't know. It's hard to, as soon as you said Greg Povich, I just started, like, dreaming of cartoon hearts because I love him so much. So (laughs) I'm going to have to follow along with the question. Um, yeah, he, for me, he's like a one. Yeah, he's he's my one and only. So it's like, well, yeah, I mean, they can't find another Popovich because there is only one. And that's I, true. Yeah, I look forward to his like sideline interviews more than I did like new episodes of like Arrested Development, which is like a show I loved. So, yeah, he's yeah. got he, he's he's got it all. I think there's something about that sport that draws that kind of mind to it. Even the players tend to be uh, more diverse, flakier crazier, brighter, funnier. Uh, All right, that Fiery Four brought to you by Bill O'Reilly Auto Parts. Fuck it, we'll fix it now at Bill O'Reilly Auto Parts. Now, I understand you may have a pop quiz for me, uh, Vanessa Ramos. That's who I'm talking to. Great comedy writer right now, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. She worked on Superstore, everything else. And uh, listen to this, hang on. She's got questions for Chet Waterhouse, but we got a a theme song here. Hang on, let's hear it. Boom, pop, pop, quiz. That's it. That, that's I'm not like, bad. Yeah. I will Very admit I, I I did it prior to quarantine. So uh, the production value would be extremely low, but I like <laughs> it. I like it. All right. Three questions for me. Uh, I'm, I'm like, I'm on a roll. I'm like, uh, I'm, 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 I'm like three of 10 out of my last 10. Overall, not great. I'm like 11, 109 and two. Uh, but, but I'm on a roll lately. So fire away. Okay. I didn't know the rest of the stuff was going to be so San Antonio based. So forgive me. These are also San Antonio. Oh, Um, great. Which, uh, which, uh, fried chicken chain restaurant opened their first restaurant ever in San Antonio? Uh, I am going to say Chick-fil-A. No, Ah, it's a good guess though. Uh, the answer is church's chicken. Oh, churches. Uh, my second Which, guess would have been uh, El Pollo Hermanos from Better Call Saul. Because <laughs> it just is sort of, all right, I'm 0-1. Damn it. All right, let me okay. see if I can break even uh, here. Let's see. What was the name of the woman slash president of the fan club that killed uh, beloved Tejano singer Selena Quintanilla? What was the name of the woman who killed her? Yeah. Uh, oh, man. I had Selena and Riverwalk all loaded up when you said San Antonio, and, I, and neither of them are coming. Right. Out. All right, hang on. The woman who killed Selena. Yeah, uh, she was a movie about her. I mean, she was in the movie as the one who murdered her. I'm going to take a shot. Betty Jordan. No, I love that you think it's like a white lady, though. Um, it yeah, was, I took a shot. Yeah, Yolanda Saldivar, who, like, if you, like, Google image her, it's like that woman's got some, like, fire in her eyes. 
Um, okay. <laughs> and then this one. All right, let's I, see if I can save my dignity and get the last I one. I don't know, because this one feels unfair, but I already, because uh, part of me was going to Oh, look at Nothing's unfair stuff. with me. And I'm already 0-2. I'm knee-deep in Yolanda Salvador, okay. so. Yes. Uh, R.I.P., I think. I think she's dead. I don't know. Um, so, there, uh, the San Antonio Spurs mascot, the Spurs Coyote, um, has he, he wears a jersey. What number is on that jersey? Double zero. Ooh, that's a good guess, because, you know, that's what I would have thought, too. It's actually the number two with an exclamation mark. I wasn't going to make you say the exclamation mark. Wow. Uh, how did they, do you know the story behind Oh, brother. Who cares yeah. what the story is behind Exactly. That? The fact that the Spurs have a mascot that's a coyote mm-hmm. is, uh, is, is mind-boggling to me. And uh, I'm glad I'm on quarantine because I'm going to deep dive into that and I'll get back to uh, 0-3. That pop quiz brought to you by Ice Cream Scones. Get the drier, thicker cone you've always wanted with Ice Cream Scones. My guest today, the hilarious Vanessa Ramos. Follow her on Twitter at that Ramos girl on Instagram at that Vanessa Ramos and watch Brooklyn nine, nine for God's sakes, budget your time better carve it out for Brooklyn nine, nine. Incidentally, uh, Yolanda's not dead. Vanessa, thank you so much. Yeah. 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 So she's, she's maybe she'll hear this and be somewhat flattered in prison. Uh, uh, Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Follow me on Twitter at Chet Waterhouse and follow my comedian buddy at Real Jeff Cesario. Visit jeffcesario.com. He's got an album coming out in June called What Was I Thinking? Uh, thanks to all of you for listening and support my sponsor, StarburnsAudio.com. If you want more of me this weekend, I'll be doing play-by-play of an attempted Firefest concert on Zoom. Oh, that should be fun. This is Chet Waterhouse reminding you to play with pain.